Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's films are Bloodsport and Lionheart. Not to be mistaken for Blood Lion and Sportheart. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols, which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Well, in my old job in Chicago, me and a coworker came up with the idea of doing extreme curling. Uh... <laughs> Which means that the the rock is made of C four explosive, Ooh. and uh, there's like a little like the little target area is like the uh, safe zone. So if you can possibly you know get it within the safe zone, you're all right. But you know there is a ticking clock, so there may be a move where you're just like fuck. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna get into the safe zone. Just just run. Just everybody just run. And then it may explode. And then uh, release wild badgers onto the ice and see what happens. Well, they'd probably fall into the big hole that was created when the rock exploded. Yeah, maybe. Don't know. Curling would also be more interesting if there was human obstacles. So just people have to stand out there. And, and let those heavy ass fucking rocks just hit him in the shin. Would you Americans stop trying to insert violence into our peaceful Canadian sport? <laughs> Jesus. Shush, it's a Scottish sport, first of all. <laughs> it's ours now. <laughs> fucking Canadian appropriation. <laughs> it's just it's just shuffleboard on ice. Come on. I think you guys are just mad because you watched Lionheart and now you're sick of all these illegal immigrants coming in and stealing your underground fighting jobs from Americans. <laughs> uh, Doug, always trying to segue into the show. Yeah, I try to always drag our movie podcast towards the movies that we announced we're going to talk about. Right. What a dick am I? The question is, which one do we talk about first? The one where you have to stare at uh, Van Damme's puckered ass, or the other one where you have to stare at Van Damme's puckered ass? That is in his rider. He does require an ass shot in every film. <laughs> he he won't fair. do the movie unless. Ass shot, fair. hurricane kick, and him doing the splits where the camera just like lingers on his balls for some reason. You're forgetting he has to have at least one fight where he wins by punching the guy in the nuts really, really hard. It's <laughs> true. To be fair, he was a co-writer on the screenplay for Lionheart. 
Yeah. So it was just written into the movie. There's no way around it. <laughs> you know what that was? That was like another guy that knows how to write screenplays. Uh, we should do something together. Yeah, write a movie where it's uh, just like Bloodsport. Do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can there be a little girl in it? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> uh, nice. Um, all right. Well, since Doug's so gung ho, uh, why don't you tell us what Bloodsport's all about? <laughs> it's about John Claude Van Damme kicking people and occasionally other people kicking people. <laughs> also, for some reason, Forrest Whitaker's in it. You know what the worst thing is? I've seen this movie 20 fucking times, easily. Yeah. 20 times. And somehow I was watching it this time and I was like, holy shit, this is Forrest fucking Whitaker. <laughs> How did you just figure that out? Well, this no, is how I, I know who Forrest Whitaker is. Know, no, right? no, it's a, it's a fucked up thing. 20, 20 bucks says I did know that. It's just like my brain just you know how you delete useless information, <laughs> and all it remembers is Bolo Young and fucking Jean Claude Van Damme, and none of the rest of the movie fucking matters. Oh, no, this, Donald this, Gibb, come on. This movie is literally it's whatever ten minutes of setup flashbacks to Jean-Claude Van Damme, the kid version of Jean-Claude Van Damme, where I'm pretty sure they dubbed in a French accent onto an American actor. And then it's, what do you want, 80% of the rest of the film is fighting montages? And then, for some reason, there's one chase scene in the middle, which is actually a Mentos commercial, as we've established previously. A chase scene with the most inappropriate (laughs) soundtrack music I think has ever been done in a fucking movie. I think you're mispronouncing that. You're saying most inappropriate. What I want you, I think you're trying to say best. Is that what you're going for? <laughs> no, no, don't don't get me wrong. It's genius. It's beautiful. <laughs> but those two things were never meant to be the same. Like they were that music was never meant to be. Do you know a, what? In an action movie chase scene. The people who wrote that scene probably didn't expect that music to be applied, and the people who wrote that music probably did not expect it to be used in that way, but whoever thought to combine them is a genius. That's all there is to it. <laughs> and I know I accidentally just uh, interrupted uh, Doug's plot synopsis, but... No, he was the... <laughs> do we have to do two plot synopsises? Like, so if, if I were to say, it's a movie where a guy abandons his post in the military in order to go to a place after the uh, death and, yeah, the death of his brother to take care of family business. It ends up in an underground fighting tournament. That's both movies. Yeah, excuse me. There are a lot of big differences between these movies. First of all, the Kumite is a tournament, whereas in Lionheart, he joins an underground fighting league. Yeah. The difference being that they fight in a bunch of different environments instead of always in the same environment. Yeah. Um, Solid point. You're forgetting the fact that the... Uh, what are the other differences? I'm sure there are some. How about this? Forrest Whitaker and his partner wear different colored suits, but the guys in Lionheart that are chasing him wear matching suits. <laughs> so that's different. <laughs> It's the the guy that he meets up with when he gets to his destination to guide him on his journey in uh, Bloodsport is a racist Asian stereotype, but in Lionheart, it's a racist African-American stereotype. So, the, totally the, different films. 
the blonde lady that he's banging in one is not evil, and in the other, she is evil. Well, in one, she's a rich business person who makes her money off an underground fighting league. But she does provide Jean-Claude Van Damme with a lot of ample opportunity. In the second one, she is, or the first one, whichever order you're putting these in, she seems to be a lot nicer. But on the other hand, she does kind of sleep with Jean-Claude Van Damme just so she can get her news story, because she's a conniving reporter. And when he's like, I still can't help you get a news story, she shows up like four minutes later with a different guy (laughs) who she's clearly sleeping with to get her news story. So I'm not sure that you can say neither of those is evil. I think they're both evil. They're just evil in different ways. Yeah. One one (laughs) of these ends with him having to fight another imposing fighter who likes to toy with the people that he's fighting and cripple and or kill them. Mm -hmm. No, no, wait. Nope, that's both. (laughs) So Alan asked me over Facebook why I don't speak up more during plot synopsis and pretty much this is why (laughs) is it just because you're sitting there thoroughly entertained uh sure that's what we'll say (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no i was gonna try to actually do a nice plot synopsis but uh you guys have pretty much filled it in so uh i guess noah since you've watched this 25 times what did you think of blood sport this time uh, Bloodsport is the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. It is the best one-on-one fighting tournament movie ever made. What? Even over Mortal Kombat? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only the only one that would put up a fight against it is Karate Kid, but I would argue that Karate Kid is not just a fighting tournament movie. It is a movie that ends with a fighting tournament. Yeah, when you when you narrow it down so specifically, it's hard to argue against your point. Uh, well, I, I'm saying that it seems like a narrow thing, but there are a billion of these movies, and like. 47 of them start smuggling a damn. <laughs> <sighs> Has anybody, is... ever, anybody ever watched any of the Bloodsport sequels? I know I have. I can't remember them all that well. I didn't because I just knew. I, I just assume I'll be very disappointed if I watch them. Yeah, it looks like two of them were made in 1996. I'm assuming back to back. That was the year that John Claude Van Damme was making The Quest, which is just really a Bloodsport ripoff. Apparently, James Hong was in part two, and John Rhys Davies was in part three. And then there was a fourth one that doesn't star anybody I recognize. That's how well the sequels went, apparently. No, The Quest quest is very, very different. Uh, John Claude Van Damme wears one of those rope headband thingies. Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that. It's a totally, totally. It's been a while since I saw that point. Good lord! The thing about <laughs> the thing about Bloodsport is, for some reason, this movie's awesome, and I watch it, and I have a lot of trouble figuring out why it's awesome. Because I understand why individual parts of it are awesome. Like 
watching the actual fighting, the fighting is well staged. Mm-hmm. And I think like, okay, yeah, I can see that. But most of the time I'm the guy who would say, well, yeah, sure. The one fight was good, but you need more than a good scene to make a good movie. But Bloodsport really doesn't have anything else going for it other than those fight scenes. And no, wait, just the fight scenes, I guess. Oh, come on. <laughs> Donald Gibbs. Good. I love him. I'd say it's got ogre. Yeah, who, but... who just clicking on Bloodsport two? I found out that's the connective tissue is Donald oh. Gibb is in part two as well. <laughs> but he like, he does not belong in this movie at all, <laughs> and it is like if I was a martial artist, I would be so offended by the fact that this guy is in this movie because everybody else is clearly a well trained martial artist, and this guy's like breaking bricks over his head and shit, <laughs> and he's like he goes out there and he's acting like a big dumb like frankly american stereotype like just like you know like he, he at one point when he knocks down chun li and he just like turns his back on him and like is this fucking like 80s wrestling <laughs> he just turns his back on like the the most dangerous guy in the tournament after he's got him knocked down it's like it's so ludicrous he does not it's again completely offensive to actual martial artists but probably a lot of this movie is <laughs> Uh, should be pointed out, I guess. James Hong and Pat Morita are in both parts two and three. What? Yeah. Oh fuck! Now I'm gonna watch them. I know, right? I was like, <laughs> well, I, I was gonna give him a pass, but then I saw fucking Mr. Miyagi is in does, both of them, so does, now I gotta give him a shot. Does that mean we get to do episodes of the shitty uh, Kickboxer sequels and the shitty Bloodsport sequels? <laughs> oh Christ! Sure, probably. <laughs> Because that makes me so happy. <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, look forward to Marita Month. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. For some reason, this is one of those movies that should be absolutely ridiculous. But as soon as it comes on, it's like, everybody shut up. Bloodsport's on. I have to watch. Like, like when this movie came out in 1988, like I probably, I guess I didn't see it in theaters, so it would have been whenever it hit VHS. Like, I remember watching it. And then I remember, like, just a couple of years later, like, so 1991 or 92, thinking to myself, like, I bet you that movie's ridiculous. And I just thought it was good because I was a dumb little kid when it came out. And then watching it again and going, nope, awesome. And then I remember, like, throughout high school, every now and again, you'd find that person who hadn't seen it and you'd show it to them. And if they were male and a teenager, they always were like, yep. <laughs> Like yeah, I never, I never met the person who didn't love this movie, and right up to adulthood, like I watched it again yesterday, and I'm like, it is, it's still awesome, and I can't explain why, because I should hate this movie. <laughs> I should literally watch this movie, and I should be like, this is like a shitty version of Rocky Four, and Rocky Four is inherently not a good movie when you really try to argue it as well, but. This movie has something going for it. I don't know what it is. It's just so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if it's like the tournament aspect to it. Well, there's there's an element to that, but it's not like there's any any concept of like, oh, I wonder who will win the tournament. Oh yeah, like, I know. like six minutes in, you know who's going to win the tournament, and you know who he's going to fight in the final match, and you can probably guess most of what else is going to happen in the movie. <laughs> like, you have to assume that Chun-Li is going to injure Jackson at some point. 
And you figure that out around the time that they're playing video games together in the early parts of the movie. You're like, oh, that's the guy that gets hurt to motivate Jean-Claude Van Damme to win the tournament. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that uh, uh, El Goro of Talk Without Rhythm, the Margaret Friend, that he would talk about the fact that this movie is very good at the uh, visual storytelling, where, like, Bolo Young's character, I think he has one line in the entire movie, right? You're next. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But everything you need to know about that character is delivered in his fight scenes. Like, you which, know, is, that, which is an interesting and a fantastic thing to do. That's a really good point, though, because he is a very evil character. Mm-hmm. And we have no background story on him other than he won the previous Kumite. That's the only background we're given on him. And he's like he's killed guys in the ring or whatever, but there's never any dialogue explaining that he's done anything wrong. He's just good at what he does. And then he it's literally just a few fight scenes of him basically fighting like an asshole, <laughs> knowing he's better than everybody else and toying with them and choosing to hurt people he doesn't necessarily need to hurt and little things like that that just create this character out of nothing. Yeah. He's... he's definitely got a very like imposing uh look to him because i mean damn that dude is just like thick like i would be terrified if he came walking up to me because he looks like he's only like five foot five. Oh yeah but, but he's he's like a fucking like brick house i would i would shit my pants and run away probably yeah no and i think there's something particularly intimidating about a guy who's that muscular and is still really agile. I think yes. it's like, oh, well, I can't run away and I can't fight him, so I'm just going to die now. I think is how most people would feel if they were confronted with him. Yeah. Well, and the fact that this this movie gets a big boon and the fact that love love him or hate him, Jean-Claude Van Damme is charismatic as fuck. Yeah. yeah. He does tend to, like, suck you in, even in these bad movies where you're like, yeah, <laughs> kick his ass, Jean-Claude. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Like, same way. He doesn't have to do a lot, but you kind of like get on board with not liking him, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, he he sells the character really well, easily, and I don't know exactly what it is. Like when you say when it, when you say charisma, it's kind of a cop out term that means well, we like him, but we don't know why. And you know, your villain, your hero in this movie has that, and then your villain has whatever the opposite of that is. It's, well, I, I don't think it's a cop out. I think it's just it's sheer like force of personality kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like that's that's all Jean Claude Van Damme does. It's just the fact that he's generally the same person in real life that he is on screen. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> other other than well, the fact that he goes a lot a lot more on screen. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because there's literally a line I just read today from. So at one point, Frank Dukes sued Jean-Claude Van Damme because they had worked on something together. And I forget what all the story was, but Van Damme's lawyers on record saying, like, uh, how, do, how do you think he got those uh, movie roles? He didn't get them from his acting. <laughs> because he's like, cause Dukes is saying he like exaggerated his martial arts skills or something. He's like, no, no, no. He's clearly famous for his martial arts skills. It's not for his acting. <laughs> That's his own lawyer's. Yeah. <laughs> so it's absolutely hilarious to me. But I, and and I will admit like my whole life Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's my action guy. Like when I was a kid the the argument was always Stallone versus 
Schwarzenegger, and I was always doing the right in vote for Van Damme. You know, I've always liked this guy. I don't know exactly what it is about him. He's he's the muscles from Brussels, you know? He was definitely my martial arts guy. Yeah. Uh, my dad said that he got his ass whooped in some bar or something once, and I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> you don't believe him? And he's like, uh, he's like, unlike my guy, you know, Steven Seagal. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. <sighs> Steven Seagal. <laughs> you just start laughing at the mention of Steven Seagal's name. He's fucking don't don't get me wrong. I fucking love Steven Seagal movies, but I love Steven Seagal movies because they're so fucking pathetic. Who who the fuck kept going? Yeah, this guy's a fucking action star. Let's watch him stiffly wander around and throw slow punches. And look at all the bad guys like line up one by one to run at him. Ugh. Ugh, Seagal. <laughs> uh, I will say this this movie also has one of those things that I'm always entertained by. It is a canon movie that's so good you forget that it's a canon movie halfway through the movie. <laughs> solid I mean, you do. I remember like it's happened more than once where I'll be walking through a video store and see like a four pack where it's like the cannon pack and like Bloodsport's in it. And I'm like, wait, Bloodsport? Was it? Oh, yeah, it was a cannon movie. Holy shit. <laughs> I uh, forgot. Occasionally they made good movies. That's right. Yeah. So when I was younger, my cousin was really into like martial arts. Like he ended up getting his black belt in Taekwondo and stuff. Um, has since told me that he's pretty much forgotten everything he's ever learned from Taekwondo. Well, but I think he was the one who like started watching all these because he was really into the martial arts stuff. So I think we watched this one and probably Kickboxer. I feel like there's another one we probably watched, but I don't know. That's just the first time I remember watching it was with him because he was all like super into martial arts and everything. My favorite memories of Bloodsport are from when I was in high school because we used to use this as a punishment movie. If you had girlfriends that made you watch like rom coms or whatever, then we'd always (laughs) we'd always like wait till everybody was together and then be like, We should watch Bloodsport and all of course all the guys would vote yes, therefore overriding all the girls and we'd put it in. (laughs) And if you're you really felt like being a dick, you'd actually just fast forward right to the fighting. Uh, and the girls would say no, and all the guys would just start chanting, Kumate, 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 Kumate. I, I know you think you're joking, but you're also correct. <laughs> Kumate, the totally real world fighting tournament that Frank Dukes totally competed in. Yep. Yeah, since you just uh, learned all that stuff, or relearned it, or whatever, why don't you, why don't you fill it out? Because this says it's supposed to be based on true life events in Frank Dukes' uh, life. Based yeah. on the true life events of uh, Frank Dukes, inventor of Dukes Ryu Ninjutsu, uh, world famous martial, art, martial artist, and complete <laughs> <of> shit. Like, <laughs> this dude wrote a book, and basically people have torn it apart, and there is not a single confirmable fact of anything this guy has ever claimed in his entire life that is true. <laughs> He claims that he was basically a secret agent uh, for the military and then for the CIA, that he has won every single military medal there is, that 
He achieved a rank that is pretty much impossible for the amount of time that he was in, that he was trained by a guy who is literally a character from a James Bond novel. <laughs> no joke. Like, that guy is a character from a James... His name is in the James Bond novel. No one thought you were joking. Everyone, everyone knows that Frank Stukes is full of it. It's madness. <laughs> madness. <laughs> so you're saying the guy... Who said he's world champion from a hidden underground martial arts tournament that nobody knows anything about and can fi- find anything or confirm is probably lying? Uh, exactly. And, and not just that. So at the end, whenever it shows his stats where it says he has a record for the fastest kick, mm-hmm. apparently the way they know that he has the fastest kick is the Kumite ring, which is not allowed to be viewed by outsiders. You know, no one's ever allowed to see a record of this. Is completely <laughs> surrounded by state-of-the-art high-speed cameras. <laughs> Wait, what, is, what year was it in? Oh, the 1960s, I do believe. Okay. He competed. No, no, he won 1975 was his first one, supposedly. So these, these super high-speed... <laughs> Cameras were able to clock and measure his kick, giving him the world record fastest kick. And this was confirmed by how many witnesses? Uh, all of them at the Kumite. <laughs> and the high speed camera at the Kumite that no one's ever allowed to see the footage of. All right. Held by the uh, International Martial Arts Association, which no one is allowed to be a member of or know that they exist. Except he's allowed to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, Frank Dukes is allowed to just run his mouth about all the stuff he did, but otherwise, nobody else is allowed yeah. to say anything. I the think this is, is a uh, documentary that has to happen. Finding the finding the Kumite. <laughs> finding, finding Dukes. I don't feel like anybody would take that on, because I think everybody would get to like day one of filming and be like, oh, here's proof that he's lying. Um, ah, now what do we do? We got, like, <laughs> gotta get eighty-nine more minutes documentary in before we can call this a feature-length film. Uh, Jesus. Uh, can I ask you guys some questions? Rich about, off of bullshit. Can I ask you guys a question about this movie? The sure. The Forrest Whitaker character and his like the old white man that's his partner that are they're chasing John Claude Van Damme through Hong Kong through most of the movie and they have the funny chase where they fall in the water and mm-hmm. are those who the hell are those guys supposed to be are, are they supposed to be military police because neither of those guys looks like they're in the military <laughs> uh, no remember like I said Frank Dukes totally super secret agent bro <laughs> well not that secret because Forrest Whitaker was passing his picture around to the fucking Hong Kong police department <laughs> listen According to Frank Dukes, first after he wrote his book where he told everyone that he was a secret agent, then the CIA came in and they picked him up as a secret agent because no one would suspect him of being a secret agent. <laughs> Even though he had wrote a book saying that he's a secret agent. You guys aren't answering my question about who those guys were supposed to be in the movie. I took them to be military police. I think that if you knew who they were, you would have to die. <laughs> Frank Dukes' ninja assassins would come and just take you out right now. 
Because in because if those guys are military police, then I'm, you notice I'm just ignoring Noah's answer, but that's fine. Uh, if, if those guys are military police, then this movie is offensive to martial artists and to military police officers. I mean, their hairstyles aren't even regulation. They're but not I mean, in very good shape. The one guy's like 65. The other guy's Forrest Whitaker in his fat phase. Like, <laughs> I think he's still in that phase, by the way. Well, he's back in it, at least. We can say that. I'm not sure. But... <sighs> Listen, colonizer. <laughs> we'll get there. Um... <laughs> Anyways... I I was curious about that, and I was hoping you guys would have like a, a straightforward, logical answer when you had done some research on the film or whatever. But I guess not. They're no. super secret ninja police. I don't understand what you're not getting about the super secret ninja police. <laughs> if they were ninjas, why'd they fall off that boat? That's a flaw in the storytelling right there. Uh, because they were chasing Frank Dukes, and Frank Dukes, super duper ninja. <laughs> How much do you love it when he's running around Hong Kong in that like bright yellow jacket, and then he like stops because he he decides he's got to taunt them a little bit, even though he's clearly just wants to get away. <laughs> yeah, it's just like nah, I don't need to take this seriously, even though I could you know go to prison if it didn't hold of me. Oh yeah, yeah, or just get shocked with those giant tasers that they're carrying. <laughs> I suppose we should we should also mention that the uh, the final fight scene in this movie the uh, the blind Jean Claude Van Damme versus Bolo yeah it's one of the most badass fight scenes ever. <laughs> no oh, care, kicks, I don't care what the fuck anybody says. It kicks so, so much ass. It is such an '80s wrestling match, but I don't care. It's still <laughs> awesome. It is like when he does that thing where he like starts doing I don't know what it's called where they do those stretching techniques with the breathing. And he starts doing that, like in the ring, to like regain his center or whatever. And then the guy goes to kick him, and all of a sudden he can catch his leg, even though he's blinded. I'm like, awesome. It really awesome. is. I think every time I see it, my like six year old me goes, <laughs> but it's not even like little me that watched this movie the first time, and then like adult me watching it now are both enthused by these fights every time, and I'm like. I- I, I wish I was the kind of like objective film viewer who could sit here and criticize this movie. But I just every time I'm like, look at how awesome it is. Nothing has happened. There is no plot whatsoever in this movie, and I'm still intrigued. And I'm still like waiting to see if he'll win, even though I know he's gonna win. I know he's already on the plane when they go to at the end of the thing because he's like, I won the Kumite, so I can just go back to the military and get thrown into jail now. It's fine. Do you think this is like an unreviewable movie? Like, if somebody was trying to do an honest review, and they're like, well, come on. This, the the part where Jean-Claude does the splits and punches the guy in the balls, that's pretty stupid. And you you would just be like, yeah, you're right. That's why it's fucking awesome. I know. My my response, that would be like, fine, then you do the splits and punch a guy in the balls right now. If you can't do it, then you can't criticize Jean-Claude Van Damme for doing it. That would be my response. I don't know. This would I will I will say there's an interesting thing to talk about with the punching someone in the balls in both movies because in Lionheart he's not necessarily a good guy right he's just kind of like a dude who does what needs to be done and he's and he's that character in this character they kind of like are playing him off as he is the honorable warrior and Polo Yuck is the evil warrior but 
honorable warriors don't uppercut a dude right in the balls. Like, like hey. what kind of a fucking cheap shot is it to uppercut someone right in the balls? Hey, it's, a, it's a full contact tournament. It's full, all legal. Full contact, yeah. Every, I, which, by the way, full contact doesn't mean no rules, just so we're clear. Full contact just means you actually do hit the guy and you don't hold back. Yeah. It doesn't actually mean no holds barred. Well, I'm just saying they're not, like, enforcing anything, so... Full contact. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Chong Lee kills that guy in like the the semifinals, and the <laughs> ref point. looks mystified, but they don't like you know like kick him out of the tournament. I believe they turn their backs towards him as a sign of disrespect. So that's <laughs> enough. That's like that's the ref's version of like when your mom says like I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. That's what the, <laughs> that's what the refs did to Chong Lee. Man, it's funny because I guess people know we're recording right now because people are just posting blood sport gifts like all over <laughs> our Facebook group right now. <laughs> it's it hilarious. <sighs> yeah, I don't it's know. So hard. It's so hard to talk about this movie because it's like I don't. <laughs> it's unassailable. People, if this is the bad stuff people point out, you go, yeah, you're right. That's that's why this movie is awesome. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's, but what's really interesting about this movie is how universally loved it is, despite not being traditionally good. Because when you go back to like other '80s action movies that are well liked, you look at like a Die Hard. You can argue that that's objectively a really good movie that happens to have a lot of action in it. And that's why the action appealed to young people. But then when you're older and you watch it, you can recognize that it's quality filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And this, we're just like, other than, I, I think Noachi raised a really good point about the visual storytelling through the fights. But other than that, there's like 12 lines of dialogue in this movie. <laughs> there is montage after montage of what I can only assume are racist stereotypes fighting each other. By the way, I want to get your guys' thoughts on which was the best race because I have my personal favorite and I assume everybody else does too. But it's like I can't explain the love I have for this movie. But every time I watch it, I'm like, damn, i got to get a better quality copy of this movie. It's <laughs> I should watch this with director's commentary and see what they were thinking about this. And then you go and you're like, the director never made another movie. He, he's like, he became an assistant director after this movie. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Which is weird because it was such a fucking success. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I looked up the numbers earlier on Wikipedia and it's like this movie is like a $2 million budget and like $70 million at the box office or something ridiculous like that. And you're just like, holy shit. Like, no wonder Jean-Claude Van Damme just kept making the same movie over and over again after this. Oh, shit. There's a Kumite Championship t-shirt on Amazon. Hmm. Outstanding. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's just... I don't know. I love this movie. Yeah, I love it so much. But my argument has always been, people always say that Masters of the Universe is the uh, movie that killed canon films. And I don't think that's true. I think Bloodsport killed them. Because they made Bloodsport and they went, oh my god, we could make real movies and make a bunch of money. (laughs) And nobody went, no! It was an accident! (laughs) Don't do it! (laughs) So, just for for the record, I looked up the director on IMDb. He has... Literally three movies to his title to his uh, 
directorial thing, Bloodsport being the last. The previous head director role he had was in 1971. <laughs> so not a lot of work. <laughs> His main job is like second assistant director. And he's, it's like, it's not even in real things. It's like, but he made Bloodsport. He's an assistant director on the 12 Angry Men TV movie. He was an assistant director on A Walk in the Clouds. Like, it's fascinating that this guy made such a good movie when he's not really a director. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe nobody else wanted to give him a shot, but those guys at Canon Films were like, ah, let's do it. Let's give him a shot. You do blood for it. Or if if, uh, what Canon did to some of their actors held true for directors, they probably locked him into some kind of a contract. And then he was like, okay, let's make another movie. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do that next year. And they said that for five years until he was poor. <laughs> Always possible. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else, what else do we need to talk about? Well, I want to know what you, of, of the, assuming that we eliminate Jean-Claude Van Damme from the running, who's your favorite fighter in the movie of all the, like, Background fighters. Hmm. Noah, do you have one? Uh, do do you mean who's actually my favorite one to watch fight, or which one was the one that I'm like, oh my god, that's so racist? <laughs> <laughs> you can answer both. It's fine. Uh, really oh my god! For... Oh my god! It's so racist. It's got to be the monkey dude, right? The African monkey guy who karate chops coconuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably the. Uh, is he the most racist, or when the only Middle Eastern guy tries to rape the reporter just for being a woman? Is that is is, is he the most racist? That, that was going to be my my pick. Yeah, who then gets his ass handed to him in the tournament where Van Damme doesn't even really have to punch him? He's like, eh, holds up his hand, and the guy's fakes like being knocked out. But then he tries to get up again and gets kicked in the face. Yeah. So it's debatable who's the most racist. My favorite, for sure, is the monkey guy. Because uh, it's hilarious to watch him bounce around. And I love when he like jumps up and bounces off the big guy. And just <laughs> hits the ground and rolls with it and keeps karate chopping things. In the movie The Quest, Monkey makes a comeback. Does he? I don't. I don't think it's the same actor, but it's the same dude doing the exact same fighting style. <laughs> oh, I gotta rewatch the quest one of these days. I haven't seen it in a while. Add it to the list. <laughs> the quest and kickboxer. So we didn't even go over the flashback montage of how Jean Claude Van Damme became Jean Claude Van Damme in this movie. Uh, there's nothing seriously notable. <laughs> But he was he was trained by a loving Japanese man who uh, treated him like a piece of shit through his entire childhood. <laughs> it is weird how he like he gets brought into this family. He like he, in case people haven't seen the movie, I guess we didn't really do a detailed plot description. But he's basically a, he, this family catches him trying to steal from them, and they're like, "Well, we won't call the cops, but you got to kind of." hang out around here and help us train our kid in karate. 
And so he's basically the punching bag. So that he just gets the crap kicked out of him by the kid. But somehow that turns him into a better fighter than the other kid, which makes no sense. Yeah, I was going to say, they do show that scene where the kid's getting beat up at school. And then little Frank, like, runs up and, like, punches a couple of them. Yeah. And I'm just like, wait, isn't this guy supposed to be, like, good at karate since uh, that's why they brought him in? And now he's just getting beat up at school that Frank has to come save him? Yeah, it's weird. But what's even weirder is that somehow getting beat up for 10 years makes Frank very, very loyal to this Japanese man. And (laughs) it's... And then, yeah, basically, so then after, what happens is the son die? Is that what, I can't remember what the uh, line of said he died in the war, which I'm assuming would be Vietnam. Okay. So then, yeah, so then old Japanese man, Shitoshi Tanaka, takes over and trains Frank and turns him into superhero Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. But that that kid actor that plays young Frank is maybe the worst acting I've ever seen on film. He and pretty like, much not... he pretty much has like a dirt look on his face. Yeah, time. I was I was gonna say he looks pretty dirt. The scene where he's breaking into the house and it's like him and like two buddies are breaking into the house and he's wearing the appropriate sports gear so we all know that the story takes place in San Francisco and it's like oh that's that's what you're doing to establish setting all right um and then the other kids like run out and he just stands there and it's like did somebody tell that child actor not to pretend like he wanted to escape or like why is he just standing still waiting for the next cue and i swear i they they just hired an american kid had him play those roles and they were like shit He's supposed to be young Jean-Claude Van Damme. Just ADR French accent over top of everything he said. It'll be fine. No one will notice. But I noticed. I don't know how you couldn't notice. It's so terrible. <laughs> but somehow it suits this film perfectly. I think if they had a good child actor in those roles, it'd be very upsetting to me. Yeah. You'd be like, I want to see that kid in the tournament. Some like eleven year old kid versus Chong Lee. Kicked in the face and fight. Just want to see the eleven year old kid do the splits and punch a guy in the nuts. <laughs> so it should have happened on the schoolyard. That'd be the like foreshadowing of what's to come. All right, kid, can you do the splits? Nope. Well, you're gonna learn. You have to. Van Damme does them. They're gonna tie your legs together and pull them apart. That's how John Claude Van Damme learned, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> those scenes of them training Jean-Claude Van Damme are eerily similar to the flashback scenes of uh, Sylvester Stallone in First Blood where he's getting tied up by the Viet Cong <laughs> and they're like tying him and pulling his body apart it's, it's torture in one movie, it's training in the next <laughs> makes sense alright, anything else Bloodsport related? no, movie's awesome alright uh right. So we followed that up with Lionheart, which, as we've mentioned, has a very similar plot uh, where Van Damme goes AWOL out of the French Foreign Legion to uh, go home to his brother who just got burned alive trying to sell drugs or buy drugs or do something with drugs. It's not really specified. Yeah. It's not even plot relevant. No. 
No, because you would imagine he would go back and try to get even with those people, but that's just kind of... That's covered off in dialogue. He wants to get even, but nobody knows who they are because his brother couldn't quite identify them or something. Yeah. Um, So he's followed by two guys from the French Foreign Legion who play the Forrest Whitaker and 75-year-old white guy from (laughs) Bloodsport. It's totally different. These ones wear matching suits. And uh, he has a niece and, I guess, sister-in-law. Yeah. Uh, the niece is played by the little redhead girl from Growing Pains. And uh, so, essentially, we find out that the medical bills have stacked up so bad, and they were already kind of broke, that uh, he has to continue fighting in these underground fighting tournament league thing whatever so they can have money but they don't know the money's coming from him and yeah there's a whole lot of drama rama throughout it yeah so how does everybody feel about a rewatch of Lionheart Uh, I would say it was actually better than I remember it being (laughs) because I remembered it being just one of those ones that I was like oh my god this is terrible but it was alright See, I actually think Lionheart might be my favorite John Claude Van Damme movie. Ooh, I even more than Bloodsport. Yeah, you know what it is? It's because they make him fight in a bunch of different spots. Oh, and okay. It and he fights a wider variety of individuals who have different fighting styles, and I think it just—I mean, again, this movie, much like the last one, it's really just about getting from fight to fight. All the mm. plot is just kind of an excuse to do that. Yeah. Um, but I I think I end up preferring the fights in this one just because it's they they all feel more different. I mean, like when he fights in that pool and he has to like almost drown a guy, but then later he's fighting in a parking lot. I like the fact that he has two fights that take place in back alleys, but they're both just him getting jumped by people. Neither of them are actually part of it. It's just because it's too long between tournament fights. So they just have to edit in other fight scenes. Um, I also, what I really respect about this movie is I like the way it treats the audience with dignity and respect. And what it does is it gives us no explanation whatsoever for why he's a good fighter. (laughs) <laughs> because like Bloodsport, they wasted all of our time on those flashbacks when they know goddamn well we don't care. <laughs> In this movie, they're like, no, he's just, he can just fight really good. There's no I, reason for it. I think you underestimate the power of a sweet-ass training montage in a kung fu movie. <laughs> this film did not need it. They're like, look, Early on in the movie, we're going to establish that he can beat up all these other people that are in the that have all the same military training he has. So therefore, when he gets to New York after shoveling coal on a boat for some reason, he is going to be able to fight in underground tournaments that he happens to stumble across. Because he doesn't even just in case people haven't seen this movie in a while, it's not like he gets to New York. He's looking for a way to make money, and he's like, "Oh, I'll join this underground fighting tournament." Nope, he's just walking down the street, notices an underground fight going on. He goes, oh, I'll I'll do that. (laughs) I love it. They're just under a bridge fighting, and he's like, I'll join. I can can beat up these construction workers any day. (laughs) It's one step away from joining bum fights if he was just a little less successful. (laughs) Uh, It is pretty similar to bum fights. That's right. It's, It's pretty much the same thing, except these guys appear to have jobs. 
which makes me wonder why are they fighting for money under a bridge? But <laughs> yeah, it is weird. It's just like, uh, yeah, they all got like their construction gear on. Yeah, it, it, I'm pretty sure they're supposed to all be construction workers, but after work they have a fight club. Because <laughs> when you get into the later fights, it's all like more structured and organized, and the fighters have like managers and they appear to be trained. But this first fight is just, what are you guys doing after work? You want to go under that bridge and punch each other? <laughs> For money? Yeah, and like, how do those guys got to go to work the next day? Like, <laughs> he's got a broken jaw. He's got to show up at the construction site. So what happened to you? Uh, fucking Bob beat me in the bum fights again. <laughs> Bob's over in the corner nursing his knuckles. Four minutes just shaking his head like, what am I going to do with you guys? <laughs> No more bum fights. You'll tell us what to do in our off hours. And then the best part of that is the guy who's organizing it all is this Joshua guy who's like a retired fighter because he's hurt. But he's like, oh, well, since you uh, since you won these fights, I'll take over as your manager. And he's a shockingly effective manager. <laughs> he's using the money he earned in like one night. He's able to get the both across the country. And then when they get over there, he's then able to just easily set him up with, like, new fights and find them a place to stay for free and everything. <laughs> it's like, you're really good at this managing thing. You should be doing this professionally. You should probably yeah. fight guys that, like, fight in a ring somewhere, not not managing <laughs> guys that fight under bridges. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of this, too. I used to watch this a lot when I was younger. Um, I think it still holds up pretty decently for me um i don't know like i said <laughs> like we've already said it's mainly just let's watch some dudes fight it's sort of a somewhat structured environment as you said it gets more structured as it goes on yeah but the environments are always different which is interesting um yeah did anybody have a like a favorite location where they fought I always like the pool one. I don't know why. Pool one? Yeah. yeah. Even though they have to wear those weird, like, singlets for some I, reason. I always get ready to say, whenever I watch this movie, I always, you know, you you always place yourself in some role in the film. You're either, in, you know, outside observer or imagining you're the main guy or something. Whenever I watch this one, I always imagine that I'm just some random guy walking around the set commenting on things and like that scene when they walked out in the matching onesie leotard swimsuits to fight in the pool i I would have been the guy going come on guys you guys don't think that this is a bit much like maybe maybe shit's gone off the rails at this point like the fighting in the pool like that's all right but why are they wearing matching onesie fucking swimsuits that's weird (laughs) I thought you were going to say you imagine yourself as the girl from Growing Pains in this movie. <laughs> I always liked the fight in the parking lot where the cars are all parked in a circle and they're all like then suddenly shocked when uh, cars get smashed and it's like, well, you parked them in a circle and pointed your headlights at two giant men before they fought. It's like, what the fuck? That's my windshield. Chuck Clon Van Dam versus some like ridiculous Scottish stereotype. That <laughs> <laughs> guy was awesome. You know he's a badass because he wears a kilt. Wears a kilt. 
<laughs> Joshua, I have a line too. Joshua says something to the effect of like, lift up that kilt. I want to know if he's got drawers on under there. <laughs> Just a little weird. <laughs> but kind of Josh, it's really interesting that basically sh- it's it's just your normal Jean-Claude Van Damme fight movie. Only in this one, he's got like a racist stereotype hype man. <laughs> awesome. I, I really like that Joshua character too because he they do a very good job of establishing that he's like he's in it for the money at the beginning but without doing much with the character they're able to sort of establish that he develops like a, a bit of a bond with Jean-Claude Van Damme or Leon as he's known and uh, he ends up playing like a, an important role in helping him get money to his sister-in-law and stuff and I, I don't know I liked all that and they sort of become friends in a real action movie like not very deep kind of level but I enjoyed it well, what I find interesting is he completely fucks everything up. <laughs> After being a very successful manager through much of the film. Yeah. So when he goes to fight this Attila guy who is ginormous and has mutton chops, so you know he's serious. Yeah. Um, Never fight a man with mutton chops. He has nothing to lose. <laughs> Every time I watch this, I always think that guy just looks like, like a giant muscular Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, uh, was it? He gets in a fight with the uh, foreign legion guys, and breaks a rib. Yeah, but he's still gonna fight it anyway. Yeah, and then, and then Joshua finds out, and he's gonna go place all of the money that they've made that they have not spent so far. Van Dam tells him to put a bet down for him to fight Attila, and then uh, I guess the what was it? They said it was gonna be like twelve million dollars payday or something. I don't know. Yeah, like a huge amount of money. Yeah. And Joshua gets concerned, so he puts it all on Attila. (laughs) And we find this out mid-fight after Van Damme's getting his ass handed to him. And he tells him, like, I I put it all on Attila. And he's like, wrong bet. And he gets up and beats the living shit out of Attila, of course. But the interesting thing is, okay, so (laughs) the Foreign Legion guys made a deal with the the woman fight promoter that they can hang out and when he the fight's done they can take van damme and whisk him away because this lady has basically said like attila's gonna come in and destroy him and she'll wash her hands of him and they can have him but of course at the end of the movie they end up letting him go because uh the little girl from growing planes growing pains played by noah um starts crying and, uh, <laughs> and, and so they let him go so then he comes running back so for me and then the credits roll so for me I'm just like okay so you're completely broke yep. you have absolutely zero money right. uh, you're not there legally so Trump's going to throw you over the wall uh, so you can't really get like a like a job job um, yeah, he basically and, severed his ties with the fighting people yeah, no more fights. Him and Joshua can't be friends anymore because Joshua just cost him all that money. <laughs> yeah, Joshua just lost him about twelve million dollars. Uh, so it's like, what the fuck happens now? <laughs> no, like that's the thing is they're gonna live in like abject poverty for a brief period of time, and then the French Foreign Legion is just gonna send two other dudes to come get him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like those guys didn't have the authority to let him go. They were no. just they're just lackeys. <sighs> So, yeah, they, yeah, they, they established, this off like 
they established he only had six months left. But, you yeah. know, his brother was about to die, so wanted to leave, which makes sense. But it's not like they're just going to be like, well, he only had six months, so, eh, fuck it. They're going to be like, no, we're going to bring this guy back, and now he's going to serve, yeah. like, triple sentence. So it's it's a really interesting thing, because they play it off like it's a happy ending. But really, it's not. It's really, like, this horrific ending. Like, everybody is screwed at the end of this movie. Yeah. Like, by associating himself... And that's what's important. It's... But I'm not sure if it know. is. Because <laughs> none, none of those people had... They were all living relatively okay lives before. I mean, yes, like, the, the little girl and her mom were were poor. But they were, like, getting by. Hmm. And now, like, they're going to be way worse off. Because now, like, they've got to pay for John claude Van Damme to live, too. Because he has no way to bring in money. And they're stuck hiding him from... <laughs> Ice, right? So <laughs> it's yeah. He's just got more. He's got more people chasing him now than he did before. He did not see Trump coming. Even in the pre-Trump era, I'm pretty sure that the types of illegal immigrants that just like snuck over on a slave ship and swam to shore and participated in underground fight clubs for a living. I'm pretty sure those guys were still getting kicked out even in the 80s. <laughs> ah, see, but you're a little mistaken there. You see, this took place in America, and he's white. Oh, shit, you're right. Yeah. I do think that raises an interesting question about the John claude Van Damme character, though. Because I'd like to know what nationality he is. Uh, they say he's, a, say he's French, don't they? Well, they... they imply he's French because he's got a heavy French accent and so does his um, brother. However, he's in the French Foreign Legion, which my understanding is made up the vast majority of the actual soldiers in that are non-French citizens. That's the whole point of the French Foreign Legion. It's for people who are not French who want to be in the French military. No. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know how it works exactly, but it's almost like they cut off. They're like, we're going to get this actor with the thickest French accent in the history of acting and we're going to let the audience know he's not from France and then just let them guess from there. <laughs> Could be Belgium, I guess. I guess. I don't know. So, so apparently this movie only had a $3 million budget. Oh, you know what? They did a really good job on a $3 million budget. Yeah. And then it apparently that's... grossed $24 million. So that's a pretty good return. Yeah. No, I, and honestly, this film, it looks pretty good. They do a really good job, like, the fights, like, I mean, it, it sounds silly to say, but for, in, like, a late 80s, early 90s action movie, they just picked a lot of cool spots for them to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, put two guys fighting in one of those, like, squash courts that were popular in 80s movies and possibly in the 80s themselves. <laughs> you know, the fact that they fight on a tennis court at the end is kind of symbolic of the fact that he's, like, this... He's, I think the tennis court has the idea of being like something where rich people go and play at their tennis clubs. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of idea of that's where they're making these guys fight is kind of interesting. You know, the fact that the, that he starts kind of under this bridge and ends up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You it gets know, elevated to like this giant sort of uh situation where tons of rich people are yeah. working on it rather than just the construction workers that need extra money after work. Yeah, but it's still they're still just using him as like entertainment. They're not, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, I 
I found a lot of that stuff kind of like, I know it's maybe reading too much into it and it was just guys going, where would it look cool if you kicked the guy in? But it's, it's at the end of the day, it did look cool and there is a little bit of symbolism there. I think it works on an action movie level. I, I really like this movie. I think it holds up surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised to find it has like five different titles because apparently it, you can't call things Lionheart in other parts of the world. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, full contact, a wall, absent without leave, uh, wrong bet. <laughs> they actually named it wrong bet. I know. Or just and, uh, Leon. Leon. That's the uh, the YouTube version I watched, which is Leon, and it looked great. If anyone's looking to watch it, I recommend yeah. tracking that, searching for that one. So, yeah, that's the one I watched too. But it was, it was caught, caught me off guard because I didn't know it had been released under anything else. And I, it's weird to me that obviously calling it full contact is just trying to remind people that remember the guy from Bloodsport? <laughs> now he's in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It's just it's weird to me because, I mean, he's been saying he's doing like these fights like the whole time for his family. Yeah. But then when, when Joshua tells him, like, I put everything on Attila, it just seems like you should just be like, ah, well, shit. Well, I guess I'll just let this dude knock me out then, and then we'll be millionaires, so it won't matter. Yeah, like it... I don't know. Yeah, I, it really does seem like the um, the motivation at the end is a little bit askew. Like, <laughs> pretty sure the only reason he's wanting to win this fight is for pride, but he hasn't had any pride leading up to this moment in the film. It's all been about just earning a few bucks. Yeah, and he mentions uh, What's-Her-Face. He he pretty much assumes she's bet against him. Yeah. So I think he kind of wants to shove it in her face, which becomes very apparent by the end of the movie. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, yeah, Joshua fucked up, but now you just lost $12 million because... I mean, maybe he's afraid Attila was going to kill him at the end of the match. I don't know. Yeah, there is some mention that Attila has killed others, Mm -hmm. but all he has to do is stay down. Yeah. Josh was, like, really clear on it. He's like, I'm going to kill your ass. Don't you know that? (laughs) Don't you know that? Like, he's really clear. He's like, just stay the fuck down. Uh, It's not subtle, so. uh, Yeah. Still a good movie. It is, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're kind of nitpicking a 1990 <laughs> like action movie, um, but it's. I, I think it holds up really well. I think the characters are just developed enough again on for action movie characters where you're just like, yeah, you know what, like, because we're on the tail end of like 80s action movies. Things kind of went off the rails shortly after this, and I think that it's just kind of everything in this movie kind of just works on just that right level where I'm just like you know what I'm happy to watch this I like it when they kick each other (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's got to do his little it's always good to see someone get uppercutted in the balls (laughs) one for movie it's in in the rider man he's like I gotta do the splits that way everyone knows it's me then I gotta punch a guy in the balls and uh, you guys can just write write a story around that I don't really care what else happens So, since these two have held up so well, do we feel like there's other Van Damme movies that hold up pretty well? Well, 
a couple of years ago, I accidentally started a movie club here at my house, and we watched almost everything John Claude Van Damme ever right. made. And I can tell you, some held up really well, some not so much, and some were enjoyable on more of a, I guess, more of a camp level. So movies like like Death Warrant, for example, was one that when I was a kid, I thought it was like a really intense movie where they fight to the death in this prison at the end. It's pretty cheesy, but it's still fun to watch now. I don't and, think I ever saw that one for some reason. That one was the one that I think that cemented Jean-Claude Van Damme as like my hero because in it they explain away his accent by claiming he's French-Canadian. So as a little kid, it's like you don't uh, get that many French-Canadian action heroes. So I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> But then there's, like, I think Nowhere to Run was the one where I'm like, this movie is not holding up the way I had hoped it would. Uh, <laughs> because I I'm remember, just like... I remember liking that one. Yeah, I remember liking it a lot, but it's it's the classic one where you're like, I don't understand why he's got a French accent. I don't know why he's good at, at like, karate and stuff. And it's in... The, you're trying to make a real movie around that. Whereas opposed to, like, these movies that we've talked about today where it's just more of a... Let's see what he can kick. Hey, there's a guy's face. Maybe you can kick that. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> so I think when you, when you start trying to make a real movie, you have problems. And the other one that was really disappointing to me was uh, Hard Target. Uh, that has Lance Henriksen. Yeah, I haven't watched it, that one in a long time. And it's uh, who directed that one? It's John Woo, I think. John Woo was his first uh, American movie, I believe. And like when it came out, I remember thinking it was really cool. And then rewatching it in a couple of years ago, I'm like you guys are drastically overusing the slow motion and it's, you guys know how that frustrates me sometimes. And it's just like, just it, that movie thinks it's an art film, but it's really just dudes kicking each other in, a, in the bayou. So, all right, well, let me run a couple by you and see, let me know what your opinion was when you did it for your little movie club. All right. So what about double impact? The one where he gets to play twins. think that I don't believe him as twins <laughs> because the thing when you're playing twins is that you have to be able to play two characters that are different enough that everyone knows you're not the same guy even though you look the same yeah. and Jean-Claude Van Damme doesn't know how to play two different characters well I mean one of them's got their hair slicked back and the other one doesn't so it's a pretty good point <laughs> uh Universal Soldier I just watched that one a couple years ago and remember yeah that one Dragon. held up really well I think yeah that's, I mean, that's Dolph Lundgren and Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's like your... <laughs> those are the, the two best deep action movie stars around, right? They, they were never really your A-list guys, but they were the best of the be. And I remember some of the visuals in that one were really cool, like the flashbacks to Nob and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, time Cop. Saw that one a couple years ago, too. Yeah. Now, I will admit I'm a big sucker for time travel movies, so... Yeah, I I like Time Cop. I think... Time Cop is actually a good movie, and it just happens to have John Claude Van Damme in it. It's not necessarily a good John Claude Van Damme movie. If that makes any sense, yeah. Like he's, it's it's an an action story about time traveling cops, and it's not really about a guy that can do martial arts, which is interesting. It's one of the few he did that's like that. Also, based off a comic book, therefore John Claude Van Damme has been a comic book character. There you Perfect. go. Uh, he was in a movie called Legionnaire. 
That sounds really familiar, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I definitely watched that one and don't remember it, which is not a compliment to it. <laughs> uh, then, of course, you got Double Team, him and Dennis Rodman. I never saw that one, and I, I, I didn't see that one on purpose. <laughs> Dennis Rodman, really? I remember better, seeing better it not. Like, right after it came out on video, and even at the time was like, this is a bad movie. Well, and the worst thing was, it was the one where they thought that was going to be the movie that was going to take uh, Van Damme from being the uh, video action hero to being the big screen box office monster. (laughs) And it did not. No. It was a mistake. (sighs) Fucking Rodman. Uh, what about Sudden Death? I saw that one in the theater on a date. Sudden Death? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Take your girlfriend to a movie where a firefighter fights terrorists in a hockey arena? Yeah, because they're holding the vice president hostage. Come on. <laughs> that's. I do believe that's still on the list. <laughs> for my, my idea for an entire month of movies that totally aren't Die Hard. <laughs> we can't fit all the all the ones I can think of off the top of my head don't fit into one month so we'll have to work oh, on yeah. that but... there's like 30 of them <laughs> oh there's so many <laughs> but that one was Die Hard in a Hockey Arena so I'm immediately yeah. a sucker for that Die same Hard director is same director as Time Cop too so it's a well made film and I actually think it held up really well when I watched it even though it's pretty cheeseball plot wise you're just like really Die Hard in a Hockey Arena but the igloo in Pittsburgh. It was a new arena at the time. It was kind of a big deal. <sighs> nice. Yeah, we're going to have to do a whole other uh, Van Damme episode. I shouldn't be able to speak this casually about these like 90s Van Damme movies, should I? I should be embarrassed that I know this much about them just off the top of my head. <laughs> we should... you said, you said he was your guy. He was your action guy. So he was my so. guy, yeah. Maybe we should do we should do Sudden Death and Cliffhanger. Because it's, it's Die Hard in a hockey rink and Die Hard on a mountain. <laughs> but I feel like if we do cliffhanger, I'm going to keep bringing up the scene from Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, where he's trying to save the raccoon and it falls to its death. I don't. I, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Well, I was worried it would derail things, and derailing things is usually your job. So. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, so we... Two weeks in a row have uh, listener feedback. Whoop, whoop. Started to come up in the world. <laughs> yeah, and this uh, is this, yeah. this is this feedback is also from a mortal enemy of yours because it's also Brian with an eye. Yeah, uh, same one. I oh, okay. I didn't check last week. <laughs> you didn't make me read last week, so I never actually. I just took your word for what it, was, what it said. <laughs> yeah, this one uh, I figured Doug should read. So go ahead. Yeah, Brian from Frankfurt 
says, just finished listening to the Dark Crystal Labyrinth episode, and he's so glad to finally hear somebody else agree that Wonder Woman isn't that great. Thanks, Doug. You're welcome, Brian. He says he admits Gal Gadot and Chris Pine were good. Uh, thinks they deserved a better written movie, which kind of mirrors what I said. I think. Now Brian is my mortal enemy. <laughs> <laughs> He's everybody's mortal enemy except mine. Him and I are on a team. He actually goes a little further than me. He says it was a bland movie. Um, goes on to say that he was checking his watch. Uh, mentions that it is basically a mushing together of the Captain America and Thor movies, which is actually pretty accurate, I think. Uh, agreed, uh, but that's not a bad thing. No, it's just mushing together of two better movies. Um, and he, he says, because the good old Zack Snyder slow-mo action set pieces, which is one of the main complaints I had about that movie, was all the slow-mo. And the end villain fight, it was literally a God of War video game boss fight, complete with shitty one-liners and quick-time events. I don't play God of War, but I assume he's right, because he's been right about everything else in this email. <laughs> I will I will 100% agree that that final fight scene is so fucking CGI to death that it's it's pretty sad. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm going to assume we all saw Black Panther this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that was a very well-made superhero movie that had strong female characters in it. By far stronger, better female characters in it than Wonder Woman, even though none of them were the main character. Um, do you guys now see my point? Because you've watched a good movie, why Wonder Woman isn't that good? Not, and again, I didn't hate Wonder Woman. I'm just saying to you guys, after watching a good superhero movie with strong female characters in it, do you understand what I was saying better? Because you should. No. So I, I still think there were strong female characters in Wonder Woman. Yeah, I was going to say. I think they did uh, them you better know that, in Black like, Panther. Two things can be good, right? I'm aware that two things can be good. <laughs> I'd be shocked if two things they, were good and you watch both of them. I would assume you'd have a list of things that were terrible that you watched instead. But no, but I just think like when I looked at okay, when I watch Black Panther and you've got all those strong female characters, all of whom who have defined personalities that are different from each other, that are how can I put it? Like they had clear motivations that they stuck to throughout the film. They there was like legitimate, and they and yet even though the, none of the women kind of fit into or didn't all fit into the same mold, they were all still strong characters. You had the strong-willed little sister who was definitely never going to be out on the battlefield fighting. You had like I'm terrible with the names of characters from these comic book movies, but you had the leader of the guard there who. I thought that was it was really interesting the way she kind of had this inherent loyalty to the throne and stuck by. You can just call her Michonne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, she does a way better job in this than acting than she does in Walking Dead. I'm like, oh shit, she can act really good. Why doesn't she do that on Walking Dead? But yeah, I, won't, like, I won't argue with that. But like, I'm like, I'm like, I liked the fact that they had all these different female characters and I, I certainly wasn't going into it looking for strong female characters it never even occurred to me that that would be something I'd be thinking about but I love the fact that they were all different and that they were all they were all strong in their own way and I guess you could make that argument with the African American characters in the movie as well like your your main villain and your main hero are these strong characters who are 
approaching it in a different way. Um, certainly, I think the movie forces you to pick which side of those two you want to be on, whereas with the female characters, it doesn't necessarily pit them directly against each other. But I don't know. I just I still go back to Wonder Woman, and I look at it, and I go, she was kind of a dumbass who tagged along on somebody else's journey so that she could go fight a guy. When she got there, the guy she was supposed to fight wasn't who she thought it was, so she just stood around for a minute and was like, oh, it turns out the guy I wanted to fight is here after all. It's just coincidence that he's here. And she, so that's what happened. I don't know. Yeah, yeah but he was Captain Nazi. <laughs> she, she fought Captain Nazi, and then and then she fought the God of War. Those are both cool things. Not really, though. Shut the mouth. <laughs> all right so let's just let's just go let's just go into black panther all right Stop <laughs> since, arguing. Since, since we're already sort of talking about it yeah um, mildly unpopular opinion oh jesus uh, no don't don't get me wrong now don't send me hate mail people because i like black panther it's a very good movie i just don't think it's as good of a movie as everybody seems to think it is. Ooh, ouch. I will, I will say this. I think the internet has been swept up in Black Panther fever, and it's that kind of like when a movie... like It's the opposite of the, uh, the Cloverfield effect, right? We talked about that last week or whatever, where um, everyone like hated that movie, and we're like, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean you have to hate it. I think this movie is very, very good, but I don't know that everyone needs to change their Facebook status to tell me that it's the best movie of all time. Yeah. Like, it, it's, I definitely think it is like, I'm a huge fan of the Marvel cinematic universe. You guys know that. I think this is one of the, one of the best. Um, I have to wait and see how it holds up after rewatches and stuff before I tell you where exactly I rank it, but it's definitely in the upper echelon. That doesn't mean that I, I think the hype is overblown this film even though i really really liked it yeah see i would i would agree with that i would say uh because there's a lot of people that are saying hands down that this is the best marvel movie that has come out yeah and i would say if you can objectively argue that there is some metric that this movie is better than captain america winter soldier i would love to fucking hear what that is because as far as I'm concerned, Captain America: Winter Soldier is a is a completely flawless film. Like that is not not just a good Marvel movie; it's one of the best movies ever made. It's it's fucking amazing, and that one's going to stand up for a really really long time. Yeah, like I think that these are again one of the things that Marvel does really well is that all their movies are different, so it is difficult to compare them. One of the good things about Captain America is that they've got it set in very much in the real world and you kind of you're kind of you're kind of inserting these comic book characters into the real world by setting this movie almost entirely in Wakanda they go into a fantasy world even though it's set on earth it's still this pretend country with pretend types of technology and so it's very difficult to compare the two films I liked that this film handled itself seriously. I liked that it. I liked that it. Um, I'm going to put it that it, it it took 
more the Captain America approach than, say, the Thor Ragnarok approach or the Guardians of the Galaxy approach. I think it's more suitable for this character. And frankly, I think it's important that Marvel is able to continue doing both. Uh, was worried for a little while there that after the success of Guardians, they were going to go all in one direction. Glad to see they're not. But I, I just think I just think like comparing this to Captain America Winter Soldier is it's apples and oranges, right? And same thing with trying to compare this to say Guardians of the Galaxy. They're very different movies with very different objectives, very different storytelling, very different characters. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I I just I guess. I, I agree. I agree 100% with all that. I just think, I think that you can kind of scale things and go, okay, well, this is a better movie than this in this way. Sure. And like I said, in something like uh, Winter Soldier, and I would even say in in the uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, Situation 2, the only thing that this movie does better than those two movies is having strong underrepresented characters, which which is totally cool and and it should you know what I mean? It's it's awesome <laughs> that that they didn't just bring in one cool black character; they brought in a shit ton of cool black characters, and not one cool chick, a shit ton of cool chicks. You know what I mean? Which which is awesome. That's all fucking cool. But the action pieces I don't think are as good as some of the other movies. I don't necessarily think script is as good as some of the other movies i don't think that the villain was anywhere near as good as several of the other movies i think it just falls just short on a lot of things in which i would i would say it's not top five but it's top ten that makes sense yeah i mean it's tough to argue that um i'm definitely one of the people that really really enjoyed it and thought it was pretty awesome um uh, what was I going to say? I had a point. I don't know. I guess some, sort of the stuff you uh, uh, were talking about is some of the stuff that I really liked about it, which is that it's sort of set off by itself, which I think is good. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love the interconnectivity, but there are times when I like that we just kind of get a break from that and we just get a a self-contained movie that doesn't really do anything with anything else. Like the guardians movies were sort of that way. Uh, this last Thor movie, uh, was sort of its own thing, even though it still had like Hulk and stuff in it. So there still was a little bit more connectivity, but I really like the fact that this one was just sort of separate, just kind of its own thing. And you don't really have to worry too much about the infinity stuff and all that just to sit down and enjoy the movie. Um, and I did think all the characters were really good. Like you said, they they brought in a lot of really good, I feel like really well-formed characters. Uh, all the women were awesome. Uh, T'Challa was good. Um, completely missing the the guy who was like his really, I guess, his really good friend who was also with the, the leader, uh, with Michonne, the leader of the Warrior Women. Mm-hmm. I really liked his oh, character, the guy from Get Out. <clears throat> See that he was the head of the guard or whatever. Yeah, the guy that what? trained the rhinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked his character because I thought it was interesting, sort of watching his character arc through the movie, where he always thinks he's doing something for the betterment of everything, 
but it definitely takes a darker turn towards the end, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It does suffer from what I hear a lot of people complain about Marvel movies, which is that <laughs> a lot of times the villains are just the exact same as the hero. So, like, this one was just another version of Black Panther, so they had, like, the same abilities and suits and, like, all that stuff. Now, I'll agree with that as far as when it comes to their physical combat. They are very much the same Mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, They have the same powers. They drank the same herb thing that... Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think they did a really good job of setting up these two very strong-willed individuals who both had... They they both thought they were doing right, which is, to me, that's what makes an interesting villain, especially when they're up against mm-hmm. a, an interesting uh, kind of lead character. Is they need, they need to both believe they're doing right. I don't, I don't care when a villain just wants to destroy the world. I want him to believe he's fighting for a proper cause. And I liked mm-hmm. the idea that it was just their... It was kind of when you get into the details that you're like, okay, they're both trying to do the right thing. They're both trying to protect certain groups of people. And then as you dig deeper into the details, you can under, not only do they get to a point where you go, okay, now we have to decide which side we're on, which method are we going to take? But also I like the fact that the, um, you could see how their different paths they'd taken in lives led to them to their different decisions. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact that by the end of the movie, uh, T'Challa's, worldview was very much altered by his interactions with his cousin. I thought that was really yeah. neat. I just spoiled part of the movie there by mistake, but uh, I thought that was really beat, neat. Beat that, out. beat that out, Brian. He's not we'll, going to. We'll, we'll see how unlazy I am this weekend. But I liked the idea that at the end of the movie our protagonist had grown as a result of his interactions with our antagonist. Mm-hmm. Even though and I liked like the uh, fuck it. We're spoiling the movie now. At the, the very end, when he's got him beat, and he offers to save him, and I love that our villain is still standing up for what he believes in. He gives that little speech about, "I'm not gonna let you save me, so you can lock me up." He's like, mm-hmm. "I'd rather die." And he and he makes the reference to the slave ships and all that. He's like, you know, and I'm like. I fucking love that he stood his ground and that he is still standing by what he wants. And it's actually, it's not our villain that has to learn how to be more like our hero for this movie to come to an end. It's our hero that has to learn to be a little bit more like our villain in order to drag him to where he needs to be mm-hmm. going forward in the, in this universe. <clears throat> I, I really liked that. Um, and the other thing like about, the hero and the villain in this movie. What I like is neither of them are that important to the story. This is really not a Black Panther movie. It's a Wakanda movie, right? It's mm-hmm. about the kingdom and about introducing us to this world, setting up the world, which is fucking cool. I love the juxtaposition of like spaceships flying around over like African farms and stuff. Thought this is your awesome. opinion, colonizer. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I loved I loved the world they set up. I thought it was really cool. I liked that the story was like Black Panther is barely even the main character in this Black Panther movie. He's just the king of this thing that's going on, and the story is about this kingdom that loses their king is bringing in the new guy. We watch all their procedures for getting him set up. We see what happens when he's challenged. 
we see all of these different groups of characters who have to figure out how to interact when he's challenged again and when they think he's lost and what happens when there's like a there's literally a, a point in this where they're like, well, what is the rule if he throws him off the mountain, but he doesn't die when he lands? <laughs> like, they have to have that discussion, and different characters have a different view of how it should be, and it leads to this weird, almost civil war in this relatively peaceful nation. And I think it's all really interesting. And they don't delve so much into all that politics stuff that you get too far away from the action, mm-hmm. but it is deeper than most action movies. So I, I, yeah, I, I really liked it. I started off by saying like, oh, it's overhyped, but now I'm just sitting here talking about how great it was. <laughs> and I stand by the fact that both of those things can be true. I have, sure. I have one, since we're in spoiler territory anyway, I do have one major complaint with the movie. Mm-hmm. Black Panther has been around for a long time, but he does not have a lot of good villains. And they basically waste two of them and render the third into a joke, and yeah. I can't think of a fourth. Yeah, I was disappointed with the death of Claw. Yeah, that, that was such a fucking waste. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. I thought he was going to die, but I thought he was going to uh, die in the vibranium mind, and they were going to set up him becoming the like energy monster version of Claw. Yeah, but it was fucking badass that scene. And then a lot of that has to do with, wow, what's his name? Creed. His performance is great. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, his performance is great. And that moment where he turns on Claw and just shoots him down. And then we find out he's basically using Claw's body as a way to buy himself passage into Wakanda. I'm like, that's pretty cool. It really is. No, it's a great movie moment. I'm just saying, like, from a comic book standpoint, unless they're going to give Manape his magical ape pelt that makes him go crazy... I suspect I suspect that Man Ape will be a villain in a future movie if they choose to go that way. I but thought it was it was a weird decision to put him in such a <coughs> antagonistic role. Well, I think that he's basically played for humor. He's played for humor through part of the film, but I think what they were trying to establish is that he's he's there. He is a despite being beat by T'Challa, I can't pronounce any of these names, early in the uh, early in the movie, like he is a formidable foe. He is going to be that much more, I think, in the future going forward. He's going to be that much more um, demanding now that he knows that they needed him in order yeah. to win this battle. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do think that there's plenty of room there for tension to grow between those two characters and for him to become a villain in a future film. But we also have to remember that it's going to be a while before, like between now and when we see Black Panther again, we're probably going to spend most of Black Panther's time with him training the rest of the world how to use these cool weapons so they can fight Thanos and whoever else comes out of space. And I wasn't very convinced. I thought it was just a fan conspiracy theory. But after seeing the movie, I am pretty much on the side of the people who are claiming that they're going to turn his little sister into Ironheart to replace mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, that's a good point. I can see that, but there's, I mean, apparently that character also becomes Black Panther in the comics. There's no reason why she couldn't do that. I don't see any reason why she couldn't go either way. 
and I'm fine with it because I really liked her. Yeah, she no, she, awesome. no, she's great. I just, I, I really didn't. I, I thought whenever they announced that character was going to be in there, I was like, that character's nothing like Ironheart. And then they like showed her in this movie, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, they they pretty much made her into that other character. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have much detailed knowledge of Black Panther from the comics, other than some of his appearances in the Civil War stuff, which I never even read all of it. So, it's. Uh, yeah, the, I, I'm just just judging it based on what I saw on screen. I don't think there's anything necessarily on screen that tells us what they're going to do with her in the future. If you're into comic book art, the uh, Black Panther art from the like '70s was fucking amazing. I accept that. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, overall, though, I, like, I thought the movie was outstanding. I did think that some of the action was a little bit tropish. Um, kind of like, you know, that, that end final fight scene between the two Black Panthers are kind of like, we've seen this before. It's two CGI guys punching each other. Mm. Okay, but at the end of the day, that's the movie is so much more than that that it's fine. Like we need our big climactic moment. We need these two guys to fight, so we just know what it's going to look like. There's not much left to do when it comes to that kind of thing. Like, how do you make a fight between two superheroes interesting anymore? Speaking speaking of CGI that ruins moments, so that end fight scene is amazing and intense. The 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 battle scene where kind of like the lines get divided and it's Wakanda against Wakanda. Yes. I was so fucking into it right up until those fucking rhinos showed up and I was like, oh my god, this is fucking terrible. Like, that CGI is garbage and all it, it, it goes from being this awesome giant fight scene to being just a bunch of silly, bad special effects. That fight scene was not good. Yeah, it didn't bother me. Yeah, I think at the end of the day I was more happy to see rhinos um, on the battlefield than I was concerned about the level of CGI. I, I can't really argue that it looked great. I can just argue that it was rhinos with armor on fighting. It was pretty cool. <laughs> I did. And I did like the fact that like, like I say, like, okay, so you can't really have a great one-on-one superhero fist fight anymore because we're just, it's a little bit played out. Um, especially if you're going to have them both be in their Black Panther suits. So they went the Star Wars route with it, and they had like three fights going on at once, and all of our characters had something to do in different elements of the film so that we could just... Just, yeah, whatever. You want to watch two Black Panthers fight? Sure, they're fighting over here. You want to watch a big Civil War Wakanda versus Wakanda? Here you go. Oh, and you forgot there were spaceships in the movie? Fine. We're going to let the guy from The Hobbit fly a pretend spaceship so that he can shoot down some other spaceships. It's pretty cool. And I, I like the fact that they had just... It was their way, I think, of offsetting the fact that there's they didn't know what else to do. To make. If it had just been a one-on-one fistfight at the end, it would have gotten boring. To avoid that, they went... Yeah, they went Phantom Menace with it, which is cool. Uh, I actually, I will say that I disagree with you on the idea that superhero one-on-one fights are played out. Only because as a fan of genre movies, and especially kung fu movies, I have seen a million kung fu movies with the same kung fu fights in all of them, and every time I see a new one, it's just awesome. Uh, Kung fu movies are a little different than 
Black Panther the, versus Black Panther. Not, not really. It's all. It's kind of the same thing. It's just choreographed, making a fight look cool stuff. I mean, that's all kung fu is. I actually think that the superhero genre is, in in some aspects, just an extension of the kung fu genre. Kind of just, it's big, huge uh, set pieces set up for crazy superhero fights. Yeah, but I think like this movie and the other more serious toned Marvel films have they've gone a different way with it. They're not just here for the big fights. They're here for the story, for the characters. You know, Winter Soldier, I mean, the, the big fight scene at the end is not why you think that's one of the best movies ever made. You think it's the best movie ever made because of everything leading up to that. Uh, well, I, I, I put, think, I'm putting words think, in your mouth right I, now. I, I, I would say, I would, no, I, I think that you're partially correct, but I would disagree with you on that part just because I think the reason why Winter Soldier is probably the best Marvel movie is just because it's it's cumulative. There is not a single moment in that movie that I watch it and go, that was a waste. There was no reason to do that, or that wasn't a good shot, or you know what I mean? There's just nothing wrong with it. No, I... I if, the, if that makes sense. Every, every other movie, I can pick them apart just a little bit, you know, here and there, but that one's the one that I'm like, I can't find anything fucking wrong movie <laughs> yeah and I, and, I, and I think there's always going to be people who prefer to see you know guardians of the galaxy or thor ragnarok that are a completely different style of film altogether and they're they're going to argue that those are better movies i think I'm they're close you. i'm with you i'm with you like i like for me i think winter soldier probably is the best marvel movie i probably think black panther is going to be i would suggest top five I would say I would say Guardians like Guardians of the Galaxy is better than Winter Soldier in certain aspects, but not enough aspects for it to overtake how much I fucking think Winter Soldier was amazing. All right. I thought the casino fight was cool. The casino yeah. fight was dope. That whole scene in the casino was like everything about it really worked, I thought. I liked the uh uh, even the little comic relief of like Michonne not wanting to wear her wig, <laughs> I thought was funny. There, I do, I do have one major complaint about that oh, scene. Good lord! No, when they're walking in, so you know they've got their vibranium weapons hidden on them, and vibranium doesn't set off metal detectors, so that's why they can walk through. Uh, yeah. Michonne's character is wearing giant metal neck rings and walks through a metal detector. If even if they were vibranium, she's clearly wearing metal. Nobody, none of the guards went. Hmm. <laughs> that's no, that's but not the way that should work. <laughs> the purpose of a metal, de- the purpose of a metal detector isn't to discover your jewelry, though. If, if but it, they, but jewelry sets it. Your fucking belt buckle sets it off. <laughs> no, but when the uh, the other guys showed up, they just walk right through with with it buzzing, and the guards didn't try to stop them either. So. This is more of a problem with uh, the security they hired for this club. Yeah, that's anything else. I accept that. See, the problem is all the good South Korean security is currently being used at the Olympics, and so they couldn't be at the casino. <laughs> it all comes back to curling. Anyways. So yeah. I, I recommend for me definitely to go see it. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Everybody should go see it twice. Huge yeah. recommend for me. I... I don't interpret anything I said about it being overhyped as a criticism of the film. That's a criticism of the internet. 
the, the biggest problem I have is we're like 17 movies in. Yeah. Credits go up. People start getting up and leaving still. And I'm just like, really? Like, you're just... Just going to get up and go, huh? Although, <laughs> I will admit, this one, the after credit scenes were not anything, really. No. Well, they were all they were designed to set up the next movies, right? Because you've got you've got the the big war coming. And so what they were establishing, they were for whatever reason they felt the need to let us know that Bucky's coming back. Well, that's what I'm saying. That was predictable. They wanted us to know that Bucky was in Wakanda getting better. We we fucking knew that. We already knew that at the end of like two movies ago. Yeah, yeah. But he's better now. He was getting better previously, so that's totally different. But I like I, I think the the scene of of the king going to the UN and announcing he's gonna share their resources with the world is their way of letting us know that by Avengers four, all that Wakanda technology is gonna be in the hands of everybody. And that's gonna be how that's gonna be play a major role in how they fight off these space invaders that are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um still people getting up and leaving, all of us like holding our hands up, like, Are you serious? You're leaving? Uh and then saw on Facebook, like the next day, uh someone on my Facebook was like, Oh man, that that second one, because she's got a big hard on for Bucky. She's like, Oh my god, that second one at the very end, oh my god. And someone's like, Oh wait, there was another one? Like yes. The like, thing is, the theaters don't even turn the lights on until after your credit sequences are done. <laughs> so just wait until the lights come on in your theater, and then it's safe to get up because they what, know. That's what I said. I'm like, you don't ever leave until the credits are fully over for a Marvel movie. I'll tell. I'll tell you what I'm worried about. I'm worried that at the end of Deadpool two, I'm going to sit through those credits, and it's just going to be something like him. He's just going to pop up on the screen and go, "Nope," and the movie's just going to like cut off right there. Oh, uh, but come on, tell me that wouldn't be awesome. That'd be worth it. Would, it. It would be funny, but I'd be like, ah, damn it, he got me. They trolled me. Yeah, this is just <laughs> like they did at the end of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, which I think is one of the greatest post-secret, post-credit post scenes ever. Yeah. The best part of that is watching non-geeks react to it, because they don't find it funny at all. What, what I it? do. Man, that's hilarious. I lost it in the yeah. theater when that happened. Anybody who doesn't find that joke funny, I'm like, if you didn't find that funny, that's not for you. That's for, that's for us. That's... Oh, now I want to watch Spider-Man Homecoming again. Uh, all right. So Black Panther, we all loved it. Everybody should go see it. Yep. Uh, Noah, did you watch anything else this week? Uh, I did. I can honestly say I didn't watch any extra movies, which mm-hmm. which that's that's odd for me. But I did watch a couple complete series. Uh, I watched The End of the Fucking World on Netflix. Yeah. Yep. It's on my list. Pretty fucking good. Yeah. I enjoyed not, it. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. It was all right. Yeah. It's not, not what I expected it to be, but it was good. Uh, and then, oh, fuck. What's the other series called? I started Altered Carbon. Yeah. It's on my I list. Like, I haven't started that yet. I like it. It's it's really good. That one, I feel like it's one of those shows that you kind of like need to pay attention to it. Which, 
it makes things difficult whenever I have my obnoxious dog that I'm trying to teach to not be a, a dipshit. <laughs> so I might have to hold off on Altered Carbon and come back. Uh, I finally made it through Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> Already? Jesus. There's only 30-something episodes. <laughs> that are an hour long. Shut up! Uh... <laughs> Uh, and I'm trying to think. I know I watched something else, but now I can't remember what the fuck it is. Eh. Obviously, it, it altered your life completely. Yeah. Oh, I started watching uh, uh, Everything Sucks. I'm uh, four episodes in. Oh, is that any good? It's It's better than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's good for me. It's very nostalgic because it takes place in 1996 in high school, which is was my junior year of high school. So I'm enjoying it, and all pretty much the entire soundtrack is just candy for me. It's I, I found the show interesting because they take this main character, and uh, at the beginning of the show, they kind of build him up for you and you're like oh man I really like this kid and I want everything good to happen for him mm-hmm. but then like several episodes in you're like dude quit fucking being a fucking high schooler you stupid little dipshit because <laughs> he just over and over and over again is doing this like pathetic uh, stupid shit that I totally would have did that's the whole thing. I, it, I think it's the thing where you hate him because he becomes a reflection of all the fucking mistakes you've ever made. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I told my friend Mike to uh, watch it because I figured he would enjoy it. He is on this thing where he's like, uh, they, he's like, they market it as a comedy. It's not a comedy, it's a drama. And I'm like, who cares? Just, did you like it or not? Well, I like it as a drama. I don't like it as a comedy, though. And he keeps going off about how much he hates it for a comedy. And I'm just like, dude, that's not the important part. Well, how funny How funny exactly does something have to be before it shifts from a drama to a comedy? I don't know. Because I would argue it's about 50-50. It's about 50% funny things happening and 50% serious stuff. Yeah, I would say that it's time to move on from debating genres because it's like, I don't know, like movies used to a long time ago fit neatly into genres. If you go back and watch like 50s movies, there's definitively comedies and dramas and horrors and stuff. I miss, but, I miss them good old days when them movies do their place. Like you, I mean, even just Black Panther, I mean, we, we just talked about worked on a bunch of different levels and now you're having a debate about a Netflix original series, whether it's a drama or comedy, like, things don't most interesting television or movies don't fit neatly into one genre. They generally merge multiple ones. So, well, uh, I would, I would argue that there is something to be said for, uh, is this serious or is this funny? And if you market something as funny and it's 75% serious, then you're being disingenuous. Okay, that's that's a complaint about the marketing, not a complaint about the programming. Well, exactly, but that's what yeah. his friend was complaining about, that it was yeah. marketed to him improperly from his perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, but then he keeps like harping on it, which is the point. I keep trying to tell him. I'm just like, the important part is, did you enjoy it? He's like, yeah, it's a pretty decent show. I'm like, then who cares? Stop caring about if it was marketed as a comedy or not. Good times. All right. You got anything else, Noah? No, I think that's like I said. I really didn't. I didn't watch a lot of stuff this week. All right. What do you got, Doug? Uh, well, I, based on your suggestion, I went out and saw I, Tanya. Yeah, what'd you I, think? I really enjoyed it. I, it confirmed one of my suspicions about the world, which is that most of the stories that you see on television exist because everyone involved was too stupid to stop them from happening. <laughs> and I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that every time you see a news report, it's like, oh, if one of those people had been smarter, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> and definitely this one, I, cause I, I, I know the story in my head of the whole incident. Right. Yeah. And I watched this movie and I'm like, yeah, this is how I remember it happening. But I just assumed that somewhere along the line, there was like a conspiracy or there was, <laughs> you know, somebody had this dark plan, but I'm, pretty sure that everyone involved was just stupid and that's how it resulted in this like i i yeah i'm becoming more and more convinced that the world is a dumb dumb place and that's why things don't go the way you would expect them to and this movie just is that personified i loved the i forget the names of the guys but the bodyguard guy yeah he's a complete fucking moron Like, like he's like talking about how he's like Oh, most of my training is in like international spying and all this. He lives with his fucking parents throughout the whole movie, and they don't make a big deal out of it. They just show him living with his parents, and you're like watching the movie, going, "If he was an international spy, he probably wouldn't live in their basement." <laughs> it's, I don't know. Yeah, I love the the scene where uh, Jeff Galuli's down in the basement, and he keeps trying to call Tanya. <laughs> But he's on like, the phone from the kitchen, and then it's just like a really long phone cord. Yeah. So yeah, the the bodyguard guy keeps yelling up at his mom, telling telling her to redial the phone number. <laughs> it's yeah, and you're just like, but meanwhile he's down there, like, and he's giving him all this life advice, and it's like, but we're in your parents' basement while you're giving out this life advice. <laughs> but at one point he's like. There's a, a great moment where he's like, "Yeah," because after the after the incident takes place, that's what they refer to the the caning of her knee. They refer to it as the incident. But after it takes place, he's like, "See, this is even better than our original plan because now all the other figure skaters will want bodyguards and they'll all call me to do that, and the money will just flow in." And it's like, "Are you even thinking this through at all? How are you going to be a bodyguard for two different people at the same time? You can't be." You can't physically be guarding two different people in two different places at once. You have no infrastructure to send somebody to do it for you. Just it's so dumb. Everything he says is dumb, and that's that's good because that makes the movie feel more realistic to me. Because again, the real world is a dumb, dumb place. Yeah, and then you're like, well, these are obviously some pretty far-fetched <laughs> caricatures, right? And then they show actually some of the actual interviews during the end no. credits. And you're like, no, that guy really is a moron. Oh, because you had when you had told me that was coming, and so then I just kind of sat there. My girlfriend was with me, and I like, I'm like looking at her, going, like, let's see how she reacts to this. And when the when Tanya's mom shows up with the actual bird on her shoulder, 
the look on her face was outstanding. She's like, so why is there a bird on her shoulder? And I'm like, no one fucking knows. The reason no there's a bird on her knows. shoulder is because there was a bird on her shoulder in the interview. That's yeah. the whole reason. But I mean, it leads to the follow-up question of, if you knew they were coming over to interview for this documentary, why, why, why'd you keep having the bird on your shoulder? <laughs> but he, it even goes like that step further, and it's like, none of them look like, like they knew they were going to get interviewed on camera, that's clear. Yeah, None of them look like they put on their a button-down shirt or a tire. Like, none of them look like they tried at all to look like rational human beings. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody was dumb, like you said. Because even, like, Tanya Harding, and she's definitely in the real story and portrayed well in this movie. She's definitely a victim. Like, she's an abused woman, and that's always tragic, even though it's played for laughs in this movie. It's still, I think, recognizably a sad thing. Well, they point out that she was also abusive, too. Yeah, She was way abusive, but she also She was also kind of abusive, yeah. Yeah. And then, but the other thing is, like, there are moments, too, where it's like, these people have been separated for a while, and at one point, she brings him back into her life because she thinks that'll help her win more figure skating medals. And it's like, I don't think that that's how it works. Like, I don't think you get a better figure skating medal because you brought your, like, white trash husband back into your life and you have his fat friend bodyguarding you again. Like, that's not... Like, she's so dumb that it's hard to feel bad for her. And it's like, uh, all right, like, whatever you gotta do. It's just... I like that, like, nobody in the story is the good guy. There there just isn't one. Yeah. Because they even portrayed Nancy Kerrigan as not being the wholesome image that ever the media made her out to be after the incident. No, well, yeah. I mean, the media naturally has to play it up as okay, there's the good guy and the bad guy. Yeah. And then, like, I like that Tanya already gets her moment to complain about how, like, Nancy Kerrigan's not happy enough to win a silver medal or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> ah, fair enough. Valid point. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like the uh, Rocky Four montage? I did like the Rocky Four montage. <laughs> I told you I knew that would be that would be the thing that Doug would draw would draw you in. <laughs> it was, yeah, I was I was pleasantly happy. I went and saw I saw that the same day as uh, as Black Panther too. So it was like my little <laughs> his little both movies had Sebastian Stan in them too. So you're like, oh, oh yeah, there you let's go. See? It's a, <laughs> mini, uh, Sebastian Stan retrospective. I enjoyed it. <laughs> nice. So yeah, uh, well, other end of the spectrum. I watched a movie called The Good Neighbor. Have you guys ever heard of that one? I had I had not heard of it until literally Netflix is like, maybe you'd like to watch this. And I'm like, hey, you're right, Netflix. Um, so this movie is about these kids who decide to set up the like they take the cranky old man across the street and they break into his house and they set up a bunch of shit, including cameras. And they're going to basically document them trying to convince him that his house is haunted and seeing if they can convince him that his house is haunted. So they've got cameras all over the house to follow him, and then they've got other shit rigged where they can change his thermostat to make it cold in the house all of a sudden, or they can have a door start to creak and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Old Man is played by James Caan, which is what attracted me to the movie. I'm like, oh, maybe this is actually going to be interesting. And... The whole concept is that over time they start to become convinced that he's up to something nefarious and 
basically they weren't able to get cameras into his basement so every time he goes down there they are convinced he's doing something terrible down there and the whole movie plays out as the whole movie plays out as okay so these kids are doing this thing to this guy are they driving him nuts and is that why he's acting weird or is there something else going on that causes it and it's told in a pretty neat format because most of when we see the the old man is through the cameras almost found footage style but then when we're following the kids across the street my kids they're like probably 18 19 college kids i think they're supposed to be like that's just told in normal uh movie telling mm-hmm. and then cut into it are these clips from a trial that happens in the future so as the as the trial's going on we're gradually finding out okay somebody's going to die in the middle of all this because there's now like a murder trial going on. And then we're going to find out, okay, well, here's somebody, one of the characters in the movie testifying. So now we've narrowed down to, it's not him that's dying. So really it worked for me. It kind of sucked me into wondering like, okay, how is this going to end? Is it going to end with one of these two killing the other? Are they going to find out what this guy's doing in his basement? I don't want to spoil it because I think it, does a pretty good job of surprising you with the way it goes. It all makes sense, but at the same time, it isn't necessarily foreseeable. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. So, I guess without getting into a debate about genres, it's a more of a, dra- a drama slash thriller than it is anything else. But it was good, and the performance from James Con was key. He spends a lot of time on camera by himself, um, and he does a good job. Yeah, sounds interesting. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. I'm glad I watched it again. It was just a Netflix find, so I wasn't, I didn't had really no idea what I was going in into it for. It's from, I think it's from a couple of years ago, but it just showed up on Netflix now. So yeah, I think it said like 2015 when I looked it up on IMDb while you're yeah. talking. And it must be an American movie because Neighbor is spelled without the U. For those of you who are trying to Google it. Uh. So the other thing I watched was just uh, in order to tie in last week's episode with next week's episode, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which is still awesome. I'm yeah. point saying about it. Um, and yeah, it, of course, it has uh, the guy from Class of 1984 in it, and it also has clips from the movie's Critters in it, so that ties last week's show to next week's show. Does it have clips from Critters in it? It does, because... Uh, what's her name? The character. Welcome to prime time, bitch. She's watching Critters, and when she decides to flip it away from Critters, that's what causes Freddy to kill her. Oh. She's like, I, I don't want to watch Critters anymore. I want to watch Zsa Gabor. And Freddy's like, fine, then you're going to fucking die. <laughs> Is that his thought process? <laughs> I assume. <laughs> if she would have stayed on Critters, she would have been fine? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. <laughs> I just watched it because the kill scenes in it are amazing. Yeah, part three is awesome. It's yeah, I mean, other than the original, it's probably my favorite in the series. Um, totally, and it's there are like a few logic flaws in it that I notice now watching it, but I just don't care because I love the kills so much. Yeah, that was actually the first one I saw, and I saw it when I was like eight at somebody at a babysitter's house. Nice. And they're like, "Oh, you're eight. You can handle this." Well, guess what? I cannot handle it, and was up crying most of the night. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. But the Nightmare on Elm Street became my favorite uh, franchise, so I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, I can't even remember 
seeing these movies for the first time because I had like an older brother who was a horror buff and so he would just be watching these and it was the 80s parents didn't care <laughs> like nowadays people are like what your older brother was watching him so you had to go in the other room no my older brother was watching him so my parents like made me be quiet so I wouldn't distract him <laughs> but other than that I was just allowed to hover around <laughs> for our younger listeners we should point out that back in the day when one person watched something on television, the whole house had the choice of either watching that one thing or going and finding something else to do. We didn't all have our own screens that we could hold in our hands and carry to another room with us. (laughs) (laughs) TVs were furniture when I was growing up. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) You think about it now, it's like, oh, why don't you just watch something else on your phone? Why don't you just um, pull up your tablet? It's like, yeah, right. Yeah, one giant console TV that basically if your parents said it was okay you could watch something because otherwise you were watching whatever your parents were watching yeah it, like it was like if something fell behind the TV in the 80s it was just lost that was you couldn't yeah. move that thing <laughs> you had to hire guys to come and move your TV that's yeah. why so many people when their TV broke bought a smaller TV and put it on top of their old TV <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, you got anything else? No, that's it for me. All right. So I watched the original Friday the 13th. Uh, it was just on, and I'm like, I'm going to turn this on while I figure out what I'm really going to watch. Then I watch it till the end. So Yeah, yeah. I watched it. <laughs> that, movie, that movie holds up surprisingly well, I find. Yeah. It's another one that's really just about the kills, but so... Yeah. I'm like, well, I got to see Kevin Bacon get the arrow through the throat, and then that'll happen. And like, well, but I got to see the girl in the archery range, and that happens. Like, well, Mrs. Voorhees is going to show up here in like two minutes, so I might as well. Watch. Well, I got to see her get her head chopped off. I might as well stick around and watch Jason jump out of the lake, and then at that point, it's over. Yeah. Uh, let's see, I watched a movie called Shock 'Em Dead, it starred uh, Tracy Lords. Okay. First non-porn movies. Uh, not great. <laughs> um, essentially, it's uh, she's sort of the manager for this rock band who's going to have like this big, uh, uh, like they're going to be playing it like this. I don't want to say battle of the bands, but it's like a showcase. But they know there's going to be lots of uh, record executives there, and they're looking for a new guitar player. Um, and this super nerdy guy, like essentially the nerdy version of the toxic Avenger before he falls in the toxic waste. All right. Shows up to the audition and does terribly. So, you know, they make fun of him and kick him out. Um, at the beginning of the movie, he works at a pizza place. That's like, you know, the owner is some fat white guy who, you know, wipes sauce on his shirt for no reason. And then, you know, one of the uh, one of the uh, waitresses comes in for her shift and goes into the back room to change because I guess you wouldn't do that at home. And he goes up to like the little uh, uh, menu and it's got like a giant pepperoni pizza on it. And he pushes aside one of the pepperonis and it's got a peephole into the into the changing room, of course. So that's the kind of movie we're going for. Uh, so yeah, so he goes, he, they make fun of him. Uh, some homeless voodoo lady, 
uh, offers him some thing, you know, like, well, I can do this spell or whatever. And he's essentially selling his soul to the devil to become the greatest guitar player. And so when he wakes up, he has, like, that giant, like, black, like, rocker hair from the 80s. That's just his hair now. Okay. (laughs) And then uh, he goes and shows them how good he can play, so they hire him on. And then uh, what he does, what he didn't find out is he's going to have to start killing people to consume their life energy to keep him from like falling apart. Uh, and as it would turn out, everything starts going awry. Uh, but <laughs> it's like this movie was sort of like a movie you would see on USA Up All Night back in the day. <laughs> Like, it's just cheesy as shit and not, like, good. But there's, like, rock songs and, like, chicks in it with big boobs who get naked for no reason. Although on USA it would be just odd editing, so you wouldn't even get to see that. Uh, Yeah, not great. But, uh, you know, just one of those random, um, just weird movies that I decided to buy because it sounded interesting. It sounds like the kind of movie that thinks it's better than it is. Like, if it probably. knew how bad it was, it'd probably be more fun to watch. Yeah, probably. I could definitely, definitely see that argument. Um, while I was watching, I realized I'd never seen Tracy Lords in any of her adult films ever. I don't know why. So I looked up pictures of her, and I did not think she is even remotely attractive. I don't know how she became super popular in the adult film world. Uh, I don't know that we as a group are qualified to analyze adult films. They're outside our normal area of expertise. <laughs> okay. It was just a very odd realization <laughs> I had. Yeah. I think you have to remember that uh, the concept of beauty changes over time. Sometimes women who are considered extremely attractive in one era are not necessarily attractive to people in other eras. Yeah, her just her boobs fine. are her boobs are oddly shaped, which I thought was very strange. But but which, so when would her porn career have been? Let's now you're dragging me into this analysis. <laughs> when was she in her prime? Uh, I don't know. I know this uh, Shock 'em Dead was one of her earliest regular movies, and that was 1991. Okay. So probably mid eighties, I would say. Eighties, right? Early eighties. So most of the people who were watching the, her videos then were like high on cocaine, <laughs> probably <laughs> having a lot of trouble sitting still in front of the in front yeah. of the screens, and that probably explains why they didn't notice the weird shaped boobs. I mean, you know why Tracy Lords was famous, right? Well, I know she had appeared in a couple movies while she was underage, and yeah, nobody, that's... nobody knew. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Her the the entire scandal of them finding out that she was fucking sixteen making porn movies. People lost their shit, and then of course because people are gross, everyone immediately went out to go find all those. <laughs> yeah, people are gross. But yeah, I don't know. I just looked at pictures of her, and I'm like, yeah, not. I don't know. I don't. Know. I I can't picture her off the top of my head right now. So. She looks like every 80s teenager ever. Okay. I should say in movies. So 
giant, giant hair. That's what you're telling me. Yeah. No, she had the big 80s hair. <laughs> and she dressed in, like, the the stupid dangly earrings and, you know, wrist warmers. <laughs> Shit like that. Yeah. I would Google pictures of her, but based on what you just told us about her career, I don't want to get caught doing that. So. <laughs> Might be a good idea. I would assume Google has some sort of uh, system for weeding those out. But yeah, I'd be like, that's Google's problem. Some algorithm, but I'm yeah, still not gonna. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I guess if you're in the mood for like one of those USA Up all night movies, I guess uh, go for it. But otherwise, not good. Not good. Um, but you own it now, so you can watch it whenever you want. I do. So, yeah. Uh, let's, let me uh, put it this way. Uh, so there's like a cast reunion on there. Um, and Tracy Lords did not appear for this cast reunion. Uh, the funny thing is... Oh, that's not this movie. It's another movie. Um... Yeah, so I don't know. That's reassuring. That you uh, no, I, I got. I was just like, oh man, there's like this person, but then yeah, that's that's not this movie. It's, it's another movie here in a second. Um, let's see, another blind buy. I picked up a movie called Obsessions, which is a Dutch exploitation movie that was co-written by Martin, Marty Scorsese back in the seventies. Jesus, yeah. Thank you. You said at least three things in your little description that make me want to see the movie. <laughs> um, it's essentially like a take on Rear Window, where this guy is uh, living in this apartment and he finds behind this painting that there's like a people under the apartment next door. And the guy next door is always having like chicks over and they're having like super weird, like crazy sex and stuff. So, you know, kind of like, oh, this guy's fucked up. I'm going to totally check it out. And then uh, he sees, like, some weird stuff going on. And then hears the next day about a murder that was taking place. And he's wondering if they're connected. If maybe he witnessed it without realizing he did. For some reason, he has keys to this guy's apartment. I somehow missed plot point that would make sense for him to have keys maybe it's a dutch thing maybe um so while the guy's out one day he sneaks into his apartment just to like look around and then finds a girl like chained up in his bathtub so then he's like really freaked out because then he can't really let her go because then the guy will know that he's been in there so he sort of becomes obsessed with like watching this guy through this peephole and even, like, the dude's girlfriend is like, you're obsessed. You need to, like, either call the cops or just stop. So it's sort of like a back and forth of him trying to figure out if this guy's killing people, like, sort of what's going on with it, and then just lots of nudity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's okay. It was an all right movie. Like I said, it's very, very much as a rear window ripoff. So, I mean... You kind of get that, so you just kind of 
focus more on the nudity, I guess. But <laughs> it's, it sounds like an exploitation version of the Good Neighbor that I watched. So yeah, yeah, sort ways. of, sort of that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's okay. I find it interesting that it was written by Mar- Martin Scorsese. Um. Yeah, I was excited because the Blu-ray said interview with uh, Martin Scorsese, so I was like, oh, sweet. And then I clicked on it, and it's like, you have to read the interview? I'm like, oh, this is dumb. So, I was bummed by that. but That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I'm not reading this. This is this is a, a movie disc. You're supposed to tell me. Tell me and show me. This is bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and then keep it going another blind buy uh for some reason i'm like you know what i feel like the need i need to watch a linnea quigley movie uh so i have a double feature disc that has her two of her movies on it and so i watched one called murder weapon uh where these two girls get out of a, a mental asylum and it turns out they're family members are part of the mob so when they get out you know they go live in these giant like mansions for whatever reason uh that makes sense yeah so for some reason they decide like let's throw a party and just invite like our ex-boyfriends i don't know how that's like something you would do but whatever um so one of the ex-boyfriends happens to be ricky from silent eye deadly night 2 like the the garbage day guy and it took me a second i couldn't i'm like i know him from something what is it what is it and i couldn't place it and then all of a sudden the image of him yelling garbage day like popped into my head and so then i couldn't stop laughing at him the entire movie uh, so this movie is pretty terrible. Uh, I should have known when the first like twenty minutes is just Linnea Quigley talking to her therapist, like literally sitting at a table talking to her therapist about what she's going to do when she gets out of the asylum. Um, and then they get out because this movie's only like an hour and. 17 minutes or something so i was like oh they filmed that because they didn't have enough movie to put this movie out uh it turns out she had uh stabbed one her stabbed one of her sister's boyfriends or something i don't know it really wasn't that interesting so then uh while this party's going on someone dressed in black is going around and killing all the guys and it's obvious that it's Linnea quickly the entire time <laughs> Like, it's just horribly obvious. That's good. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this movie is literally just, hey, you're an ex-boyfriend. We should go upstairs and have sex. And then while they're doing that, someone downstairs is being stabbed. And then, you know, someone will find his body later. And then, oh, my God. Well, maybe we should go upstairs and have sex now. And then, you know, somebody else will get stabbed. Um. Not saying that it's a bad thing usually, but this movie was pretty uh, pretty boring. So, not a good run of movies for me this week, unfortunately. That does sound like a rough week. Yeah. 
And that was like over the weekend too, where I'm just like, I'm just going to watch a bunch of these movies I bought that I haven't watched yet. And uh, maybe questioning some of my life choices by now. <laughs> did I tell you I saw Black Panther and I Tanya in the same day? Was, yeah, you had a that's, great that's day. That's what I did with my weekend. <laughs> you had a great day. Mine, not so much. Uh, I like to imagine that someday far in the future, whenever your mind is slowly giving away in old age, somehow those movies are going to combine in your brain and you're going to constantly be misquoting them wrong. <laughs> you're going to be like, and then they came home to Wakanda and some guy hit Nancy Kerrigan with a shovel. <laughs> Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, no, I want to tell everybody what we're doing next week. Uh, next week, we are doing two of the the greatest horror movies to feature uh, diminutive uh, creatures, <laughs> which is one of my favorite fucking movies of all time, uh, Critters and Leprechaun, which is pretty good, too. <laughs> uh, two great tastes that seem like they'll taste great together. Yeah. There was no real like rhyme or reason. Like, <laughs> I think it was Doug that was like, we should do Critters and Leprechaun. And I'm like, you are right. I don't know why that sounds like it's going to pair really well, but it will. Well, I'll give you a, a spoiler alert for how next week's going to go. We have a hard rule on this podcast. We don't cover movies that have previously been covered here or on the last Horrorcast. Yeah. Both of those movies were covered on the last podcast, and I don't give a shit. We're doing them both again next week. <laughs> I get to watch them. <laughs> they are both like tiny little monsters attacking people in a farmhouse. There's something there. They're kind of the same. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like they're going to team up really well, but they're not two movies that you would think, like, I bet we should do double features of Critters and Leprechaun. That'll totally make sense. Well, it makes sense to me. And that's all that matters, because I do think they're going to pair up well. They told me no on doing Ghoulies 3 again. (laughs) I believe we said, fuck no. Doug said he would quit the show if he ever had to watch Ghoulies 3 again. (laughs) But the show doesn't begin to describe the reaction of it. (laughs) Oh, just wait till we do Ghoulies month. You get to watch all of them. That, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna fucking hire some guys to come over to Illinois and whack one of you with a fucking in the knee with a bat. <laughs> Teach you a lesson. Look, uh, most of my training is in counterterrorism uh, <laughs> in Europe. No, the best part of that movie is when she when it's like the real life interview with like Diane Sawyer or something, and she's like, "No, we checked." You don't have any of that training. He's like, "Well, it's a lot of it was in Europe." No, no, you you don't. You've never been to Europe. You looked into it. It's... <laughs> he just keeps stumbling and stumbling. Like, uh, I mean, uh... he's got that dumb mustache the whole time, and you're just like, nobody would have that mustache and be serious. It's no. it... <sighs> I don't, he's, he's just one of those people. Like, why would anybody ever think to take you seriously? In anything in life whatsoever. That's why crazy shit happens in the world. Exactly. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. 
And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.